Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta and elsewhere because our country and our elections are corrupt. They're corrupt. <laughs> He's back. Yes, indeed. And I'm back, too, back from Tijuana. You guys were running wild uh, last week on the Liberal Therapy Hour, so I'm here to straighten yeah, you out. Yeah, we heard you were running wild, too, by the way. <laughs> so, but we'll, that's a story for another day. Well, our guest is our very own Robert Gibbs because... This is a day for celebration. Exactly, Jeff Fox. That is the sound effect, ladies and gentlemen, that we could afford. (laughs) (laughs) That was Jeff himself, actually. Right, I was going to say, if that didn't signify something pretty big, I I don't really know what sound would. It signified budget cuts, but this is an amazing day. (laughs) Yes, it is. We have reached... The Pinnacle. Tell him, Gibbs. Episode 150. Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can't and afford we, an engineer either. Still with it. <laughs> Sober up there, Fox. Still with the cheesy sound effects, but what the hell? Maybe by episode 300, we'll... Uh, yeah, yeah, well, if we get to 200, it's officially a war crime. So uh, yes. let's keep inflicting this thing. It's fun to do, fellas. And we got all three of us here because so much is going on. Brother Axelrod. Speaking of war crimes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's get back to the opening clip. So here's my question for everybody. You know, M- Murphy, I, you know, I always uh, dismissed you as a, um, as a hopeless romantic on this subject of Trump and the idea that he would fade away. But like, how much is too much for the market to bear? First of all, if it wasn't for hopeless romantics, we'd all be saluting the King of England right now, the <laughs> Queen. So here's here's for hopeless romantics, you cynic. Uh, look, what, what all I know about politics, hard learned, a lesson we've all learned, is it is constantly evolving one way or the other, for good or bad. Sometimes evolving quickly, sometimes evolving slowly, but it changes. And Trump is a sweat act, as they would say here in Tinseltown. And they don't tend to stay around forever. So I've always thought he would decline. He's less interesting. But the question is the speed of the decline. Right. Uh, will he still have the stranglehold or not going forward? And we're now finally, and as you know from scoffing at it, I predicted this for a while, there's starting to be a bit of a party rethink. Now, does that mean Trump will not be in the catbird seat and maybe even be the nominee? No. But he's not in the position he would be. And and the only thing that seems new about that to me that might be making the decline quicker is how much Trump has evolved from what I will call in a political way, good Trump, Trump ranting about China, doing the horrible demagogic things that were politically effective to get votes to new Trump, which is crazy old man screaming about a stolen election. And even the Republicans kind of held captive in Trump land because, well, he's an asshole and we hate him. He's crazy, but we can win with him. Now don't smell that. They smell losing, ranting, weaker Trump. So that now the political rivals who also want that brass ring 
and are ready to do anything to get it are starting to think, yeah, maybe I ought to run DeSantis. You know, they're, they're, they're coming a little bit out of the shadows. Where it'll go, I don't know, but it, it is a real thing. Gibbs is shaking his head and patiently waiting his turn. I am patiently waiting my turn to tell Murphy that thus far he's wrong. Ha! And I know that there's, look, there's been polls and these people are more gravitated to the GOP than to Trump and all this mumbo jumbo. I think all you have to do is look at the response. And we've got that sound too of Trump suggesting that when he becomes president again, he's going to pardon the January 6th insurrectionists. And the outcry on the GOP at pardoning criminals who stormed the Capitol and tried to overthrow government has been virtually non-existent. Well, you had a little, you had a little whimper from Lindsey Graham. He's a barometer. He's a weather vane. He, he's not, there's no strong wind there. It's just whatever the direction blows and however he thinks he can get on TV. But that supports Murphy's theory. Aha! Uh-huh. No, they're all scared to death of him. They're all scared to death of him. Tom Cotton's comment on, on this was no comment. When was the last time Tom Cotton didn't have something to say, right? They're all scared of him. They don't want to say, oh, my God, we can't pardon criminals. You can't yeah. pardon insurrectionists. You can't be the law and order. They, they are scared of him. Everybody was scared of the Fuhrer till the suitcase exploded. But where will it be in a year? That's the issue. The only person that decides Trump loses power and doesn't become the nominee is Donald Trump. That's it. It's not Ron DeSantis. It's not Tom Cotton. It's not Larry Hogan. It's not Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger or anybody. Only one person controls the fate of Donald Trump, and it's Donald Trump. And he's not any weaker than he was. But he's controlling it now in a way that's weakening him. That's my point. He's he's driving himself off a cliff. I just don't understand. I mean, my 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 guess, my pushback is: where is he weaker? Well, under what auspices is he weaker? I mean, he's still very popular among Republicans, but not as popular. Uh, I, I mentioned last week, I think, Gibbs, that, uh, and I don't know how much uh, importance to assign to this, but in that long-running uh, NBC poll, now two-thirds of Republicans say they are supporting the Republican Party, uh, not that not Trump, uh, as opposed to the the group, you know, majority that that used to say, I'm, I'm with the Republicans because of Trump, that reflects something. I'm not saying, no one is saying, uh, to say that it's all static is not, is not right. No, 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 but I, don't, but I think you guys are, are, are misinterpreting a couple of movement on numbers. I mean, here's my question back to you, David. Walk me through the difference between what Trump and the Republican Party are right now. Enumerate for me the differences. In the, if that poll is if those numbers have flipped... Walk me through how the allegiance of picking the party over Trump is different when the party is listen, Trump. Listen, first of all, he addressed the question of me, Murphy, so let me answer the question. All right, and then somebody who actually votes in Republican primaries will chip in, but go ahead. Yeah, not that they want you to anymore, but... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, both of you in California are capable it's, of it's answering true. this question. Yeah, yeah believe Exactly. Me. Murphy's in that little booth there at a rally of California Republicans. This is Camp Freedom, <laughs> Underground Bunker Broadcasting Center. But answer the question, Exor Rodman. I vote in Illinois and California primaries, here we go. but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think the question is, is Trump narrowing his base? The, the fact is he has a strong base still in the Republican Party. There is still fear of him. But Murphy's point is that there is fear of, this is the problem for the Republican Party. There is fear of losing primary elections. That's the fear that Republicans have. But now right. there's a growing fear that there's a tremendous cost 
to having him uh, be the symbol of the Republican Party in general elections. That's the bind that Republicans are in. They can't live with him and they can't live without him. And the crazier he behaves, the more problematical that becomes. But that doesn't make him weaker because nobody's doing anything about it. Okay, but here's where I think you're wrong, Gibbsy. There are three things that are happening now. The question is the speed because that'll drive the outcome. One, one out of three people who a year ago would have said, I'm more about Trump than the Republican primary, now have chosen to change their mind and say, I am more about the Republican Party than I am about Trump. There's other data showing roughly half the party, the largest plurality when you break this up between love Trump, hate Trump, Trump was great, but we have to move beyond, is the move beyond voter. Now, will something shiny appear that they can move beyond to? Open question. Now, what you're saying, though, is none of that means anything because they're all cowering right now, hiding under their tables at the mention of his name, fearing primaries, which is correct. But you're saying now. And what we're really talking about is after the midterms into the next presidential nominating period. Will Does Trump have a half light? You know, and how long is it? The trend is down, but we, we've got to see where it goes. Now it's kind of irrelevant. It's, you know, we're looking at the next campaign through the rearview mirror. The question is, is 18 months from now the same as now? And I think that's an open question. My, my question, Murphy, do you become a shiny object? I mean, look at DeSantis. He's trying to become a shiny object right, by right, out-trumping Trump. Yeah. And the, and the question is, could you get a Trumpian facsimile as the shiny object, which leaves the party in the same place? So I think there are two sides to that coin. One is what they're thinking now is to survive the short term, maybe the long term. I'll give you Trump without the crazy. And, you know, it's not a bad cynical calculation. But the difference between DeSantis and Hawley and Tom Cotton and all the other Ivy League Trump imitators, which, you know, <laughs> think about that. The Ivy League is now the farm team for crazy. I, there ought to be some meetings. Worked really well for Cruz in 2016. Yeah, well, there's another one. But but the point is, um, it is kind of odd and, and horrifying. Yeah, man. Time to rise up against the Ivy League elites. Oh, don't get me started. I say this as a former fellow at the Harvard JFK School. The question is, will the Trump imitator thing work? And if it does, don't we still have Trumpism with a higher IQ? And we could. You just took two minutes repeating my question. No, no, I'm trying to get a word in edgewise here. I should have brought the jaws of life. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. So, but here's the other wrinkle to it that makes it interesting. These guys are all cynics. The, the Ivy League Trumpers, yes. they're doing this bullshit because they think it'll win them a Republican primary. If, if the world changes a bit, they will change. Trump believes Trump's crazy because he's crazy. They don't. To them, it's a tool, which means they will drop it and pick up a new tool if it suits them. So I don't know about the permanence of Trump. I think we might have Trump light, which is a step back from the crazy, some of the same populism. And, you know, if Fox decides one of them are showbiz and they start breaking through, I don't know. I, I, I think there is there are definitely flammable gases in the warehouse and uh, Trump Trump is in a little more peril, but not now in the future. Yeah. I think we're moving toward that. I just think they're indistinguishable, the party and Trump. And I don't see that if Trump were to, again, if Trump runs in t- 2024, I don't see how he loses. I don't see who beats him. I don't see how Ron DeSantis for the nomination. You're talking about. All right, we we need to make a note on the audio file, Jeff, for this one, just in case, just in case I'm right. I'm going to play it a hundred times. But you're right. Right now, Trump is atop the throne, but he's a mad king, and doubts are spreading, and people for the first time are challenging him a little. Yeah. Bit. 
That's a big deal. Let me ask you something, Gibbs. You said nothing's going to change this, but it really does feel like the at, the environment is getting the, that crazy clip at the top. I think speaks to his own sense of paranoia about what's going on. But the January sixth committee is actually really they're really actually getting to some stuff. Absolutely. I mean, and the, yeah. the latest revelation of yeah. these orders that were drafted to seize voting machines around the country is incredibly damning. These prosecutors are moving, uh, and the, it feels a little like the walls are closing in on him. With these sort of swing voters in the suburbs and who are, you know, very important to this process. Doesn't that have an impact? None of those voters that you're talking about participate in the Republican primary. I think the idea that somehow a bunch of voters are going to sit around in the Republican primary, as Trump talks about building the wall even taller and pardoning insurrectionists and the big lie and all the, his, as he spins his greatest hits, I just don't see a group of people saying, man, doesn't... doesn't Would it indicted Donald Trump get nominated? I think he'd still be the favorite, yes. I don't think he'd be nominated. How about a convicted Donald Trump? A convicted Donald Trump might be an ankle bracelet away from uh, from being the nominee. <laughs> Hard to run with an ankle bracelet. But I think part of the challenge that we've had, and look, I, I hope that the January 6th committee, and, and we've talked about this before, like figures out a way to continue to elevate what they're finding and the people that they're interviewing and the things that they're getting. What I get worried most about is that the January 6th commission is going to get pressed through the filter of our otherwise terribly polarized politics. And therefore, Republicans are going to discount it and Democrats are going to believe it. And maybe a smaller slice of independents lean to the Democratic side on that belief. But in reality, that they wash this thing through with, it's just partisan politics all over again. I kind of agreed with Gibbs, but now the stuff that's breaking through, and by the way, Jonathan Carl had some of this in his book. Uh, Maggie and the New York Times guys got it a click farther confirming the conversation, but stuff people can understand is happening now. He wanted to seize all the voting machines, send out armed federal agents to take voting machines. It's starting to get simpler. And he makes it worse by being so crazy about it. Can you imagine if we had 2016 Trump on the road now and all he was saying was, you've been to a gas pump lately, inflation's killing you. You see the Chinese running wild. You you can't, you know, you have to wear a mask everywhere because of the mask stopo. This woke stuff is out of control. Inflation's killing you. And Putin is slapping Biden around like he's a kitten. Trump would be doing a lot better. He's saying it, but but it, the other stuff's in the way. It's the lead. Exactly. And there, there you don't hear the other. Anyway, so we got bad Trump now. We'll see where it goes. In the short term, he is big, no doubt. One way that it's paying off for him is he's raising a boatload of money, uh, $122 million in the bank. What are the odds that he spends a lot of that or even some of it on, on actual campaigns and not on <laughs> legal expenses? And He'll spend it flying to campaigns in a stupid plane. I mean, you know, he's a grifter and we know what happens. It, the last thing I say about Trump, and there's been a bunch of, there's a story last week, you guys all saw it. Some of these primary choices are, even in the Trump blogosphere, are controversial. You know, he's just having all those kind of speed bumps that he never had before. So, you know, even his own world of accolades are at least the far 
noisy wing of it are, are making trouble. They're mad about he's for vaccines because he wants to claim credit for them. You know, that was kind of a funny thing where Trump's egomaniacal need to claim credit got him in trouble with his own soldiers. So, you know, there's just cracks showing in the dam. We'll, we'll see what happens. But Murphy, let me let me ask you, not as a joking thing, but as a as a voter in the Republican primary, could you see one of these mainstream I know I'm going to say it, mainstream Trump acolytes, a Tom Cotton, a Hawley, a DeSantis, or somebody else. Could you see them making a, or would it be in their interest to make some sort of break now? Not, not a huge one, not a crazy one, but something that disagrees with Trump in order to begin this process of cleaving the party and, and Trump and the nomination in a way that it's not. Isn't that what DeSantis is already yeah, that, trying that's to do? What, uh, what DeSantis is doing the light version. But of what's, what's DeSantis really done that's not, that Trump doesn't really agree with? He's engaged him. It, let's put it this way. He's had a critical tone of Trump on some of the mandates, which is, you know, all you need, that subtext. That, yeah, Trump kind of screwed up the COVID thing. And that's all you need. And then you get around doing a better roadshow of Trump's, a non-crazy version of it. And you keep being at 25 in the polls with Trump at 42 under 50, and you just let the cracks grow. Don't you have to really accelerate that? Because I guess my question would be, let's assume qualifying opened today for 2024. Do you envision that some of these guys actually run against Trump? Well, that's, you know, if Napoleon had nuclear subs, we'd be speaking French. But I think they're trying to get to that position. I think they're Sanders for sure. Well, here's the bigger problem. Biden's doing so poorly that even Trump could beat him. So let's talk a little bit if the, you know, we, we can we can debate the Trump thing forever. I would normally say if he wins the nomination, he's a dead duck. But if the Dems really, really, really screw up and they're yeah. halfway there now, then the real nightmares. And that'll affect Trump's decision, too. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. Gentlemen, today's episode is sponsored by Honey. Now, you know, we all shop online and we've all seen that promo code field taunt us at checkout. Hey, loser, you're not in the secret club. You don't know the code. You're (laughs) going to have to pay more than we do. It drives me crazy. But thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes to join that club and pay less is a thing of the past. You finally caught on, Murphy. Honey is the free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online. They range from sites that have tech and gaming products to popular fashion brands and even food delivery gibs. Mmm, delicious. Imagine, Axe, you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons. It can find for that site. If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. I'm buying some camera equipment and I'm excited to use Honey to see what I can get a coupon offer on. Already Honey has found its over 17 million members. Get this guy's $2 billion in savings. Wow. Wow. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free. It installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. So join the secret club. Save the money. Get the codes. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash hacks. That's joinhoney.com slash hacks. (laughs) 
here's Biden. We're on week 812 of the Any Minute Reset. I heard some fat-ass commentator last week, some ex-White House guy, working him over pretty good on this podcast. That would be a callback to your own self-depreciating joke, Axe. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you specified because Gibbs, you know, well, Gibbs yeah, doesn't have gonna, a... He was trying to slough off the fat ass on me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Gibbs actually is in better shape than he was in the White House. We, we look like the Pillsbury Doughboys. Yeah. He gets out every morning and does 20 miles chasing a, a mirage-like ghost of Trump. <laughs> anyway... What's going on in the world of Biden? I mean, I heard you guys talk about the Ukraine last week. Got it all wrong. I'll straighten that out in a minute. But uh, there is a lot going on, and he's got some opportunities, I think. And, of course, and this is in the Hacks on Tap newsletter of Murphy and Gibbs uh, out this morning, hacksontap.bulletin.com for free. In your email, we talked about maybe four steps forward. But, Axelrod, why don't you lead us into this discussion? Well, you know, we did talk about Ukraine last week and and then got some— some snarky feedback from people who thought we were cheapening a global crisis by talking about it in political terms. You're listening to the wrong podcast, dude. <laughs> it's hacks on tap. Right. It's not popes on tap. Right. You the know? Council on Foreign Relations is two doors yeah, down, down and to the left. Wall, yeah. It's not the Gandhi hour, pal. But I will say, you know, I think that Biden <laughs> is handling the Ukraine thing well. Me too. Uh, I mean, I think he has done the right things. He has not yielded to Putin. He has organized the allies. I had Gordon Brown, the former prime minister of uh, Great Britain, on my uh, other podcast, the the, uh, the Axe Files, this week. And he said, you know, the problem with Trump, you know, it used to be that, uh, you know, for the long, for a period of time, this was a kind of unipolar world and the United States was the sole power but the United States worked in a multilateral way with Trump. You know, now we're in a we're in a multi-power world, polar world, and and he wanted to work by himself. Uh, and he and here he said Biden is working with the allies, and they've been pretty effective, I think, in setting yeah. ba- boundaries. We'll see if uh, if Putin uh, crosses the line in any case. But I think Biden looks pretty strong on this one, and that's what he needs to do. Yeah, I mean, look at the scorecard here. So Putin's goal, you know, he I, I get it from the Russian point of view. The Ukraine is their Texas, and it broke away of some other places and, like, joined the Warsaw Pact. So they're bonkers about it. But he wants to divide NATO. He wants to cause trouble. He wants to grab the Ukraine. NATO's never been more united. Um, the, we have NATO members surrounding the Ukraine. We have crippling sanctions that have been threatened. It, it's all pretty good because now— Putin has to either back down, which is what we all hope for, or jump into a quagmire, and he'll do more to unite Europe and NATO than anybody has since, like, the uh, Berlin airlift. So it, 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 he's really in a, in a bad position. The only thing I think Biden needs to do is, due to the, uh, the uh, what should I call it, the click and eyeball sellers in the news business, of which all of us are employed on occasion, they're covering this thing like World War III is about to break out. You know, will American troops fight Russians and all that stuff? Biden ought to give the televised speech. He ought to put on his president's shoes. He ought to explain what's happening, what our policy is, what we're doing about it, and what Mr. Putin's choices are. And frame this thing right so people understand it's not World War III. It's the West trying to police bad behavior in a sane way that is not a shooting war with our troops, but we're buttressing the allies around it. And a huge coalition has been built. 
and the diplomatic channel is always open. We're doing everything we can, et cetera, et cetera. So he needs to explain the game and mm-hmm. set it up and control some of this messaging, yeah. and he will look presidential as hell, and he might get a win. Yeah, and, and there's nothing better than <laughs> for the press, Murphy, and I think the reason you're saying to do that speech is if you draw what you think they should be covering and will happen, then they'll say, wow, he did it, it. happen <laughs> just like he said it did. And, yeah. um, you know, no, I think that's all good advice. I mean, and I think I, I think the challenge obviously is still going to be what does Putin do and what it, what are the short-term political implications, with all due respect to the people that complained last week, is does that press cover it as if not getting Putin to stop means that Biden failed, right? And I think that there's a there will be a tendency for some in the press, and I think there'll be a tendency for an inordinately large number of Republicans to 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 blame Biden if Putin does what only Putin can do, um, which is decide to go. I, I do think. Look, don't, don't I, you I think, no, Robert? Let me ask you this: Don't you think that they are? That's one of the reasons why they have been foreshadowing the invasion, so that uh, the, you know that it is not. Uh, a shock if Putin uh, goes in, but that, you know, they're pushing him back now from what seems to be inevitable. Yeah, I think so. And and which I, I mean, I think if you're Putin, the, the, the challenge obviously is, look, I, I think they're doing it in a textbook way. I wish the Germans were a little stronger in the coalition and weren't so worried about gas, their, their natural gas. But yeah, Again, when have the Germans ever been against a war? This is fair, <laughs> fair. Uh, and kudos yeah. to the president has the the mirror of, of uh, the Qataris in yesterday in the White House to talk about how do we move natural gas to Europe if something happens with Russia. So they're they're doing this all, I think, really well. The you know the question is whether or not can they in the end provide some sort of off ramp for Putin? Right? Can they provide? Because you know I think you you do get worried that acts that squeezing of the toothpaste little by little from the bottom, eventually it's got to go somewhere. It seems to me like something, and I'm sure this will be the last play in the game or the second to last play in the game, is they've got to offer Putin some sort of exit ramp off lest he end up having to make, he think he only has one decision to make, which is I got to go. Yeah, well, I think they thought they were doing that with some of the things, you know, nuclear nonproliferation, moving nuclear weapons away from... uh, from Russia and so on. And this is why Putin, you know, is so many people have said Putin plays this game with less at his hands and and with fewer good cards in his hand than virtually anybody in the world does, right? Yeah. Well, this is a bulletin from our trusty producer Hannah McDonald that says breaking Putin says Russia's concerns had been ignored by the US and NATO. So that doesn't sound that promising, but we'll see what the next turn of the card is. Well, we're we'll be learning the Russian word for IED. <laughs> I like Murphy's idea. I think Murphy. Yes. Well, I'm complimenting you, man. Oh yeah, more, more. <laughs> no, I think I, I think that we're coming up to a point where actually explaining what was what's going on to the country and to and actually addressing Putin uh, from the podium. Uh, you know, he, he's doing it in fits and starts. Unfortunately, he did it yesterday from the Oval with his uh, mask hanging from his ear, which wasn't the most powerful uh, look. But but a speech would be yes. a speech would be good. Do a primetime East right, Room totally. speech. Yeah, yeah. Red carpet, walk out, blue podium, look powerful, look strong, yep. look Leader presidential. White Houses use it too little. 
and Gibbs, just to compliment you, set the parameter for the press because this is yep. bigger than does Putin invade or not. Right. Everybody wins if they don't invade. And, you know, what they really want is the old Cuban Missile Crisis deal where we quietly took missiles out of Turkey. Putin's win is he wants to Finlandize Ukraine. They never join NATO. They never have real troops right. there. You know, and there's a way to have some weasel language that kind of maintains their sovereignty without giving Putin something you can work internally. But you also have to set up another win for the press that if he does invade, uh, we have a plan for that too. Yes. Uh, to go to humanitarian assistance and make this guy the, you know, the butcher of Kiev, uh, Putin. And what it is not some Putin win, because if he goes in, Putin loses because he now owns a terrible war zone, civilian atrocities. You know, there's been some interesting press on the shortest way south to get to Kiev is, you know, through Chernobyl. I mean, this this thing will be just a mess for the Russians. Right. And he has to explain how that scenario is not what we want, but it's not a huge loss for us because we remain united around them. And with NATO, never tighter. Yep. Uh, yeah. So either way, he gets it. This is not Ukraine 2014. This is not Georgia. Uh, what was it? Right. 2008. Uh, this is, uh, th- this is a different look. So, you know, yeah. we, we, you know, Biden has taken, yeah, I think some, uh, justifiable shots on the execution of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, he's had, you know, a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of criticism on this one. I, I, I think, uh, they're doing well, let, let, but what about, let, let's, let's shift off of that and onto the battle that is, uh, pending, uh, on this open Supreme Court seat uh, and the politics of that. You know, during the campaign, I mean, th- this is the thing that, let me get something off my chest. Can can I, guys? All right, I, I'll, I'm going to go take a bathroom break. I'll be back yeah, in right. 11 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not your shirt, I'm cool. All right. No, not yet. By the way, Murphy, you know who else wants to get stuff off their chest? All the Germans who, and I, we should give them your, Email address. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. One, one good German joke. It's like the old Dennis <laughs> Miller joke when Cardinal Ratzinger became Pope. Oh, just so we need a German on a balcony with an adoring crowd. But, uh, <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway, yeah, but, move but, on. But, I love the Deutschen Vogue. Jim Clyburn can't help but tell this story about how in the middle of a debate in South Carolina, he went backstage during a break and told Biden, you have to tell them you're going to appoint a woman to the, a black woman to the Supreme Court. And then Biden went out and did it. That's a very unhelpful story. And it does speak to, uh, you know, what if Biden, I've been thinking a lot about this. What if Biden hadn't said that? Would he have been nominated anyway? Uh, and wouldn't it have been better if he was considering, as polls say overwhelmingly Americans want, a full range of options and then appointed? Uh, an African-American woman uh, to the Supreme Court, because I do believe diversity on the court is a good thing. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of there is a penchant for making short term political decisions, some in the campaign, some in office that come back and bite them in the ass. And this this is one of them. On the other hand, and let me this is where I'll end. If he had done that, would he not now be under enormous pressure? to to make such an appointment and when he did would he have gotten incoming for that was it death by fire death by hanging kind of thing well any any marching mob you have a choice between leading it or being dragged along you always want to lead it and i agree with you i don't like it when presidents box themselves in 
particularly in kind of a narrow political way. So I think the optimal scenario, if we had the time machine, I think he would have been nominated. And I think right now he could decide to make that kind of history and, and go with the nomination. Now, there are other issues about how he proceeds with the nomination. But I, you know, and I, I'm going to try not to get canceled here. But there is, I'm kind of of the, yeah, here we go. Hacks on tap with Axelrod and Gibbs <laughs> starting next week. I'll be special correspondent on Joe Rogan or something. We just bought all that merch, so be careful, yeah. Murphy. Yeah, like can we scrape Murphy's name off of that? No, no, no. But I'm kind of of the Barry Weiss theory about this, which is we kind of have things backwards, and it looks very political. So what I would be mostly focused on if I were Biden is don't, create an opportunity here for malicious enemies to make trouble. Don't reach too far. Don't go too progressive. They, they have a, an extremely qualified judge who's already been confirmed to the appeals court with Republican votes, a couple of them. Take the win. Don't give the Republicans an opportunity to do their worst here. I agree with the back part of this, but let me disagree both with Murphy and UX on this idea of making this pledge, right? The, first of all, Democrats get harangued into playing the same game Republicans play by Dem- by Republicans, making them feel bad about playing by the same rules Republicans try to before they change the rules, right? Just so everybody's clear, Ronald Reagan, in a very, very yeah, focused political move in the 1980 campaign, made a promise to appoint a woman to the Supreme Court, and he did it. And I don't think Biden should apologize for saying he's going to appoint a black woman. Uh, I don't think he has to listen to all this elite or non-elite commentary around why he should or shouldn't have done it. Um, and I hope they don't, like I said, don't complicate the simple. Find a highly qualified black woman. Get 50 Democratic votes. I don't care about Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or Lindsey Graham or Mitt Romney or Rob Portman or any of the Republicans because it doesn't matter. Just get 50 votes, have the vice president waiting to break the tie, break out the Bible, and then the champagne. Don't complicate the simple, because the only thing we talk about, we don't want something political to break out in politics. The Supreme Court's never been a meritocracy. Murphy may get canceled, but you have doubled your membership. You will get huzzahs from every woke Democrat for that we're here to talk real politic, okay? I agree with you. I, I Look, I was involved, as you were, but I was involved in that process of putting Sonia Sotomayor on the court. I think it was a great thing to do. I think she is a great, great member, and it broadens the aperture of the court and reflects the experience of people across the country. I think that is really, really important. But the political thing, Jeff, play Susan Collins here, will you? What President Biden did was, as a candidate, make this pledge, and that helped politicize the entire nomination process. Uh, What President Reagan said is, as one of his Supreme Court justices, he would like to appoint a woman, and he appointed a highly qualified one in Sandra Day O'Connor. That's how you're refuting my argument? (laughs) Through the compelling legal wisdom of Susan Collins? No, 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 no. I think it's bullshit to say that, I mean, all of this, all these crocodile tears from the Republicans is, 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 is bullshit as well. But it plays into their narrative. And let's be very, very clear about it, that, that, that Biden is sort of the captive of, 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 
factions in the party and he's making decisions on that basis. And I think that's a shame because I think Katanji uh, Brown Jackson, who, uh, who, who Mike references, and many of the other women on that list are splendid choices. And, you know, it does, it does make it more difficult. And it does make it more difficult when Jim Clyburn goes around and bragging about how he compelled you know, he wrenched a pledge from Biden to Fair. do this. Who looks weak again. Okay. Okay. Well, let, let me let me just say one thing, Murphy, because I'm going to agree with what you said earlier, which is he can either look like he's leading the pack or getting dragged by the pack. And let, let, let's go through the envision of this. Would it look, how, how strong would it look right now if Jim Clyburn and every black activist went out and said, if Joe Biden doesn't nominate a black woman right now, then we're out of here. Screw it. He doesn't understand us, blah, blah, blah. Do, do you think that'd get a lot of press right now? Would it get a lot more press than a debate hardly anybody remembers in South Carolina? Then he would look weak because he would have to do what they said they, they wanted him to do. That was the point I originally raised was, was it death by fire or death by hanging? Right. But my predicate is I don't think it's death. I well, think he's no. making an affirmative decision, not an affirmative action decision, an affirmative decision to put the right person on the court. I'm all good. If he wants to play politics with the Supreme Court, a gas. Can you believe it? The politics of the Supreme Court. All for it. Got anything else? I'm good. I think I got it all. All right. All right. There you go. It's therapy hour here yet again. I want to know where you got the Albert Finney pills. Okay. Biden's still screwing up. He can turn this into a win if he gets a win fast. If he does go for more progressive justice and we get back to defund the cops and all kinds. Because the Repubs emotionally would like to put a judge through a Kavanaugh hearing. Because they think they think Kavanaugh was roughly treated. The problem is, as you did say earlier, uh, Robert, and I agree with you, they got the votes. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not a smart fight for the R's. But if you give them an ideological hook, they will go from doing what they're doing now, kind of the perfunctory ideological stuff, to move on to inflation and the other winners. Or they find some small thing with the right. judge that hasn't been confirmed, and they blow it up. And we're back to what could have been a clean win becoming a, a muddy stumble. Well, presumably they've done a year's worth of vetting. And, uh, uh, you presumably. know, for example, Katanji yeah. Brown, uh, you know, cleared right. the Senate with some She's Republican easy win. votes. And, and I'll tell you something. Uh, this thing shifts. I mean, uh, you, you talk about Kavanaugh. This thing shifts if uh, you put a nominee in front of that committee and that nominee excels and presents really well and she, you know my guess is that she and several of the other candidates will but that's probably i mean i think part of what the white house thinking right now as they go through this process is who's going to stand up well in this uh, right. nomination process because if they do well he'll do well and it'll be interesting to, to to both of your points to see if what republicans end up doing is throwing a couple of you know quick body blows to see if anything hurts or lands and then basically understands the 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 math of this and yeah, to your point on. murphy get back to talking about inflation and other stuff that they know is quite frankly enormously effective all right let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors You know, our next fine sponsor has a product that so many people use every day. It's called Athletic Greens. And in this time of health, and we know we're all health nuts, led by me, but you guys are always trying to catch yes, up. Everybody knows that about you. Right, right. Well, we all want better gut health. We want more energy. I need it just to get a word in edgewise. We want a better, stronger, optimized immune system. 
And I don't know about you, I hate taking big, chunky vitamin pills. It's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I wanted a supplement I could mix into things that actually tastes great. And frankly, I'd heard so much talk about Athletic Greens, I wanted to see what all the hype was about. Well, you know, our producer, Allison, will not stop talking about how miraculous this has made her feel and how good it tastes. (laughs) Exactly. So we said, all right, all right, we're doing ad for it. So you want to know what this stuff is that Murphy waxes eloquent about? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things that Murphy apparently needs some help with. Allison, what do you like to mix it with the best? Water. Okay, well, that's Allison, right to the basics. That's the kind of no-nonsense outlook that can put Athletic Greens to work for you. But it helps with your digestion. And Allison, how would you describe the wonderful taste? Delicious. Well, there you go. You can even travel with it because it's a mix-in product. And Dr. Axelrod... Well, you know, in these inflation-conscious times, it's... Good to know. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, Murphy. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. It's been recommended by tons of professional athletes, and it's got an amazing story. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplemental routine to recover. It cost him over 100 dollars a day. Fed up, he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create a really optimal nutrition routine on your own. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season, guys. It's just one scoop and a cup of water, as Allison said, every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com hacks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hacks to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, one more thing, because we're running out of time, we got to get to the mailbag. But in our Sainted newsletter, Gibbs and I, pitch four things for a comeback and we've kind of covered most of them but we had one other kind of tactical idea so i'll i'll pitch it and then see what you guys think they've got to figure out something for kamala harris to do who has become a mild liability because the press narrative has been you know that she's basically a stumble bum can't get anything done staff trouble blah 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 well our pitch to the white house was hey it's an election year do some election year stuff have her go out and pick a Trump fight. You know, Trump. Trump's now completely nuts when you put a microphone in front of him, so give him an opportunity. She used to be the top law enforcement official in California as the elected attorney general. She was even criticized. Everybody's forgotten this in the primary as being, quote, too tough on crime, comma. This was, of course, a Democratic primary, so that, that's a tricky definition. But I would have her go give a well-written speech to a law enforcement group 
and I would I would take Trump totally to task on the the pardons on the voting machine seizure and all the stuff we now know from the six and beat him to pieces. He, of course, will respond and do a crazy rant about a stolen election. That'll elevate him. It'll trouble Republicans who are seeing the losing Trump, not the winning Trump. It'll put him into the midterms a little more, which is generally good for Democratic candidates in the South. And his counterattacks will be over the top and uh, and potentially even racist. racist, which will I'm I'm landing on that. That's the big finish, oh, okay. which will of course give the Democratic base something to fume about. Other than Biden is is only giving them eight point seven on the ten point scale of whatever it is they want. So it's a good move for her. Could give her a win and could go put her in that political corner. It also de elevates Trump fighting her, not fighting Biden. So it's a play I'd run if I were them. It would be good for her. Well, I think. Getting her into some battles where she can take the offensive is a good yep. thing. Maybe it's this one. Um, you know, the the measure of uh, her, you know, of concerns about her is all of these crazy rumors about it, uh, they're, they're going to they're appoint her to the court. But she might have something to say about, I don't know, maybe this is a bad idea, but she might have something to say about people who are disparaging, like uh, Wicker from Mississippi, you know, kind of calling... Uh, calling the uh, the appointment a, an affirmative action pick when you you know when Biden's likely to pick a stellar highly qualified uh, uh, person to the court so yeah but but attack famous people I mean I agree but who cares about Roger Wicker no no I understand no yeah, yeah. you know you poke Trump you know what you're gonna get and and, and Trump may right. welcome a di- he may welcome a uh, back and forth with her she has to stay on the bucking Bronco if right. she jumps on it then. Uh, and not let him get the last word. Yeah, there's definitely some upside in it for her. And I think watching the eruption of Mount Orange would be <laughs> a good thing for, for her. And I think it is, to your point, David, a, a fight worth continuing to have because I think it's a twofer win for the Biden White House. It's not just good for her to continue the fight. If she starts the fight, she's got to be in the fight. She can't, you know, she can't do a one and done. Right, uh, because but, but come at him not on identity. Come at him on law and order, which would be the argument on the on this one. Yeah, law and that order. would be an argument for this as opposed to the Supreme Court fight. Yes, I mean think of the applause lines. If I were still attorney, I wouldn't only criticize Trump; I'd prosecute him. You know, I mean, there's just so much to do, and you put him on defensive on illegality stuff like that that makes it a little more interesting politics. So, okay, we've saved her. That's a smart idea. What else we got on Biden? COVID. Gibbs, you had an idea or two about maybe how to try to get a little pivot going on that as, uh, as yeah. the latest variant tends to be receding, but more variants could be waiting in the wings. Actually, you and I have talked extensively about this as well. I mean, I think you know almost every week there's a story about the messaging challenges, the data challenges at CDC. Uh, yesterday, the story, or I guess it was in today's paper, popped online yesterday about sort of What's the role of the HHS secretary and Javier Becerra and where where has he been on all this? And all it, it does seem to me, I mean, look, one of the things I would shake up before the State of the Union is uh, is how this response team is uh, is structured and coordinated uh, overhaul the messaging with the with the idea of making sure you've got the best team on the field and the best players on that team. Uh, as we head into what will be the decline of Omicron. But then, to your point, Murphy, we're going to be living with different variants of this for some time to come. And it, it yeah. isn't 
this is, you know, I think we all hoped like Biden did that last July, this thing would be defeated in the sense that somehow the virus would surrender. That's just sort of not how the medical <laughs> and biological thing works. So I, I, I think it's really time to figure out, I mean, you read that Becerra story and leaving sort of the, the politics Javier of- Javier the HHS secretary, you know, story in the Post today, White House unhappy with him, don't think right. he's performed. Yeah, it's really murky to me as to who's in charge of this whole message. Exactly. Thing. You read this story. Well, his job was to coordinate. Well, is it to coordinate or does he, is he coordinating? Is he deciding? You know, they talk about some of these guys have, you know, they report to both the White House COVID coordinator and Becerra. I mean, this is a global pandemic. You can't have. Well, we should point out we've been in the White House. The, the, you, the reason you appoint a czar or a coordinator in the White you House have somebody is, charge. is just yeah. to manage all of this. <laughs> exactly. yeah, make sure all the agencies are on one tune here. And uh, so it does come back to them and they do have to. Fe- I think the biggest thing that has damaged them on COVID you know, other than the the uh, the you know the things they can't control, the the variants uh, has just been uh, the, you know uneven co- uh, communications, confusing communications, uh, and uh, you know this is honestly this is a recommendation they should have embraced a year ago. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, you know that is a reset that they need, not just for cosmetic purposes, but absolutely uh, substantively. Exactly for the structure of how you're going to go fight this virus from here on out. And I think one of the challenges, you know, to your point, it's good for you to illuminate, David, the, the idea of why and how you appoint a czar. You generally do that when you have several big agencies that compete for or have some jurisdiction over this larger problem. Right, like the oil spill when we were there, or in some ways climate change, because it it, it affects so many. The challenge I think they have here is they appointed a White House coordinator at a point in which almost all of this ladders up through HHS, right? So by definition, you're layering HHS. And the question is, is that the right structure to do that? It, It may have been the right structure a year ago. The question I think for Biden is, is it the right structure for the next year? And I do think too, I think, and I think there's a lot of people that could fill this role. I think there's, I think they need a bit more of um, a, a new public face here, somebody that can, that, that, that can help guide people through the public part of public health in, in a way that um, is confidence inspiring. Ah, Dr. Oz, call your office. Now, we've already <laughs> saved Kamala, so we can save Secretary Becerra, too. Real simple. Here's my plan. I'm going to give it to you for free. Name the next one Trumpacron, and the White House will love you. <laughs> All righty, let's play the music. It's listener mailbag. Okay, if you have a question, send it to the hacks. What's that email address, Gibbs? Uh, I never know it. You're the only one who knows it. We had this all last right, time. We boy, froze. All right, I'll spin the hot wax here. Take the DJ roll. It is our special email goes right to the Hacks on Tap Freedom Studio. It is Hacks on Tap at Gmail dot com. Hacks on Tap at Gmail dot com. And while you are typing on this hundred and fiftieth episode, subscribe. It's free twice a week. Why not? It's full of stuff that you don't hear in the podcast. The Hacks on Tap newsletter of Murphy and Gibbs. That is Hacks on Tap Bulletin dot com. Hacks on tap.bulletin.com. It's a lot of fun. And finally, merch on our website. And as we speak, 
are underpaid laborers in, in a slave state we will not name or busy making hacks on tap beer mugs and coffee mugs because you requested them. And no, it's actually fine American-made glass, so they're expensive. Learn more. Go to our website. should be popping up soon, hacksontap.com, upper right-hand corner shop. And in a day or two, if not already, they'll be up there, and you can order that beer mug, T-shirts, hoodies, and our new spectacular coffee mug. All right. We've done the plugs. Now for the questions. Now, first one goes to Dr. Axelrod here from Andrew. Andrew wants to know, are we now in a day and age where the president and the Senate must be of the same party in order to get a Supreme Court justice confirmed? If the Republicans held the Senate right now, could you guys see them confirming a Biden pick? Oh, softball, Ax, what do you think? Yeah, well, look, the rules have changed dramatically. In the 80s, uh, Scalia was approved 98 to nothing by the Senate. I believe it was in a Democratic Senate, but in any case, 98 to nothing. Ginsburg, I think, got 93 votes. Breyer got 87 votes. Those days are gone. I think that in this nomination, it's possible that Biden's pick will get some Republican votes in the end of the day. I suspect, for example, Kentanji Brown-Jackson got three or four Republican votes when she was named to the D.C. Circuit Court this or last year. Uh, so, But in terms of the Republicans, look, um, I don't know that if Republicans take over the Senate in, uh, in uh, 2023 that Biden will ever get another pick, uh, even if there's a vacancy. I think McConnell will just uh, run the string out. He's made it very, very clear that, um, that he, he is not— uh, inclined to uh, to give Democrats any seats on the court. He basically stole a couple uh, for Trump. And so, no, I, you know, and, and generally every action in politics uh, encourages a reaction. So I think Democrats are going to be very, very, uh, very, very reluctant on Republican choices. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dark on this. I think we've partisanized this process and it's very hard to turn the clock back. We've done away with a filibuster on, on Supreme Court justices. So, um, uh, but, and it makes it easy for one party to dominate the selection process. Um, so no, I don't, you know, I don't think we're ever going back. I mean, what do you guys think? No, I agree. If the Democrats hold the Senate, there might be another pick and they'd muscle it through. If not, if the Republicans hold the Senate, they will wait to muscle it through under a Republican president. It's become a total partisan wasteland, and it's tragic. All right. Robert Gibbs, a son of, as a son of the South, I want to ask you about Georgia. A recent AJC poll, uh, which was referenced in your splendid newsletter, asks, I, and I added splendid, but I think he was thinking that. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we'll get the invoice. Quote, would an endorsement by Donald Trump make you more or less likely to vote for, for a candidate running for office in Georgia? Somewhat less likely and much less likely total 49, while much more likely and somewhat more likely only total 21. While Trump may wreak havoc in the primaries, are we on the verge of recognizing that a Trump actively endorsed candidate in the general may be the Dems' best hope? And this goes to the discussion we were having yeah. earlier. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, there's a uh, an ad out today, David Perdue running against Brian Kemp, the incumbent Republican governor, with Donald Trump direct to camera. And uh, interestingly enough, the lieutenant governor of Georgia, uh, also a Republican not running for reelection, somebody who's tussled a bit with Trump throughout the, the vote, suggested that he 
quote, wouldn't surprise me if this ad shows up as an in-kind contribution from Stacey Abrams. Uh, so I do think there is uh, un- undoubtedly a bit of a downside in a general election. We saw that in in 2020 with Trump. Now, I would point out with some of these numbers, and I, I forget whether these poll numbers come from, I assume this is the general election, so it doesn't really surprise me. The 49% number is probably every Democrat saying, no, I, I would be much less likely to vote for him were it for Trump. The, the real thing is whether, I think this is the real impact electorally is going to be in the Republican primary. The damage to what we talked about would be done in in the general election. So I think, you know, look, the the the, the model that everybody talks about right now is the Yunkin model, right? Which is, he didn't hug him. Uh, he didn't go out of his way to solicit his his advice, didn't ask him to come campaign and whatnot, but still got sort of the buoy of uh, Trump voters in uh, in Virginia and particularly in rural Virginia. So I think for Republican candidates right now, they're they're the ones that that are in swing states, right, like a Georgia or a Virginia uh, is to to try to run up the middle on this. If you're in a, a in a deep red state. Uh, then it is, uh, you just let it all hang out. You know, I just chime in. This is going to be a fascinating one because Governor Kemp is no country club moderate Republican. He operates very comfortably. He was Trump's pick for governor. That's my point. Right. He, he culturally, he knows the music, and most of the polls show a split, even race, even with Trump weighing in. This one could be a Trump backbreaker because Kemp is a formidable primary politician. I'm not counting him out despite Trump uh, on the other side. It'll be a great laboratory race. And if Kemp can fight off a Trump-endorsed opponent, he can triangulate a little bit in the general and probably beat Stacey Abrams. Yeah, this is why we think, you know, I mean, I, I, Murphy loves Pennsylvania. I love Georgia in this election just in terms of, I, I think, the the— the permutations and the outcomes are are going to be truly fascinating. This is from Paul to you, Murphy. Uh, Matt Iglesias says, if I'm understanding him correctly, that traditional forms of political volunteering like phone banking and canvassing don't work and just annoy people. He says the best thing a person can do is give money because campaigns are in the best position to know how the money can be used to the best advantage. Do you agree? No, uh, that's kind of a blanket statement. Canvassing does not always annoy people. I have a feeling that my pal Matt might have had a bad canvassing experience and that some voters might have annoyed him. Uh, everything works, and you can do everything. You can give your time, and the campaign will know where your time will be effective, be it canvassing, phone work, organizing work, et cetera, et cetera. And you can give money. You can even in this internet age do phone calls and a, a lot of things online. You don't have to always go to the campaign headquarters and do traditional field work. The key is to get involved uh, and to try to use your personal network that trusts you to get involved, to either give small dollars, to work on social media on behalf of a candidate. Time and technology are what volunteers can use to have a voice in politics. And I, I encourage people to find a way. There is a modernization of sort of how field and and voter contact works. 
But it has always been the case that that was sort of the field goal team of politics. You never you you won clo- you could win you can win close races using these devices. You don't win races using these devices. Your message gets you 80, 80 yards down the field, and then you can kick the field goal. So you know I I think these these are impo- still important elements of campaigns, but they're not the most important elements of campaigns. Oh, I couldn't agree more. In fact, you may not remember. Because we're this, a couple but- of guys who got paid to make ads. But, but no, no, message is king. <laughs> Without message, you have nothing. But you, you were right. drunk at the time, Max. But after Obama was elected in 2008 and there was all that hype, and, of course, the Republicans ran around, we need the Internet, get more Internet, and it was all the Internet, Obama would have won without the Internet. It was an amplifier of what was already working. And too often the process press wants to focus on the plumbing and the elbow joints, not the water and the, and the message. I do think the Internet was actually really important for Obama because he was a, a candidate who was an insurgent, didn't have an organization, didn't have money, and the Internet allowed him to put all of that together. But again, uh, if, he had done, if, he had, if he had not, if his message were not what it was, he would not have been able to raise the money on the Internet. He would not have been able to raise the organization on the Internet. So message is king. Yeah. Well, my, my better example, I think, is 2012, because I think people came running out of 2012. And I remember being on Air Force One, flying home from Chicago the day after the election. Uh, and, and I went back to see the press corps and they were in a tizzy about like, oh, the the field, the data, the blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I mean, there was beginning to be this perception of like, well, you know, had had Mitt Romney had Barack Obama's, you know, uh, data, Internet uh, field team, he would have beaten Barack Obama. And I, I remember distinctly saying that's not the case and using very much the analogy you did, Axe, which is, you know, the, the, in reality, Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney because of the message uh, of who you're fighting for, um, not because we had uh, a, a whiz-bang team um, that were, you know, going yeah. crazy on keyboards all day. So three guys, three message guys just said message is king. For rebuttal, you can go to Nerds on Tap, which is a different <laughs> no, you, podcast. You can go to Shoebox Full of Name Cards slash Spend It All on Field slash My Brother-in-Law Happens to Need a Field Job <laughs> dot com podcast. Uh, all well, right. We got, we got to land this plane. Pluff's going to send us a nasty email. We know it. Let's finish with a, a love moment here. To thank our listeners for putting up yes. with 150 of these. At 200, we're going to wear tuxedos and do it live Ooh. on, on uh, video, too. Uh, thank you. We love doing this podcast as a couple of windbags, and we're grateful to you for listening, for tuning in, and for all those great ratings you give us on uh, iTunes and Spotify. So thank you. And, guys, I enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks also to Jeff and Allison and Hannah that uh, – Mostly make sure that Axe shows up at the appointed time and speaks into the microphone and records it such that um, we can actually play back the podcast. Yes, that, that is actually key. Thank He's you, the only <laughs> podcaster in America with a Garanimals microphone. And thanks to them, they make it work every week. They do a lot of hard work here and they line up all those terrific guests we have. So thanks to them for giving their time to you and us. So we'll be back next week for the 151st. So long, you guys. <laughs>